It's ball talk. It's ball talk, baby. 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 Hello and welcome to the Ball Talk Podcast. I'm your host, John Sock, and as always, I'm joined by my main man, Chaz Jurgens. Chaz, how are you doing, baby? You know who it is. I'm good. I'm excited. It's Super Bowl week, finally, so we're ready to go. It's football season. I've been doing, saying everything football all week just to get excited for this weekend. All right. That makes two of us, man. Today's, <laughs> as, uh, the re- as the listeners have probably guessed, today's episode is our Super Bowl preview. I don't know if we're legally allowed to say that word. So shout out to the superb owl or what was that? Was that Stephen Colbert? Was that John Oliver? <laughs> They're all the same to me at this point. Uh, yeah. We're going to do a recap of last round. Then we're going to do some Super Bowl previews. And then a lot of conversations around the Super Bowl and the narratives that are coming up. Uh, I'm excited. It's nice. We got a little time to talk about narratives. It'll be fun. Let, let's, mm-hmm. kick, let's go. Chaz, before you kick us off, though, with the recap. Yeah. And I'm going to give my big takeaways as always. Mm-hmm. I want to get my first big thought, and I know it's going to get you moving. <laughs> Be aggressive. What happened in both of these last two games with all these kick field goals, like, like what? <laughs> well, you need to put points on the board. If you don't score a touchdown, you lose. If you hit the field goal, you still lose. Mm-hmm. Why kick the field goal? It's... Preach to you, you. You have... Aaron Rodgers, fourth and goal. Preach to him, John. I'm saying. I just just don't get it. I I, I can't even get angry enough with it (laughs) because it just doesn't make enough sense. My brain still doesn't understand. Like I I was hoping to to channel some some movements. I can't even. It still just is nonsensical to me. I still just don't even get it. Mm -hmm. And I watched. You, please. I watched the mic'd up today too of the championship games and, and all I saw from that when they chose to make that play was Matt LaFleur. As soon as the third down was incomplete, he looked at the sidelines, he said, kick it, kick it. Matt LaFleur, Nathaniel Hackett, and Mike Pettin, the, the head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers need to be ashamed of themselves. If I was Aaron Rodgers today, I would want out or at least to sit down, not with any of those guys. I want to sit down with the head, the head big shot callers. I want Mark Murphy, the CEO. I want the director of football operations. I want the director of management. And I want to sit down and be, let it be known that I'm here and I'm making decisions now. Because if I'm not going to get the pieces around me and if I'm not going to get the chances to make the plays that I need to make to win games for my career and for this franchise, then I don't know what he's out there doing. If you have the NFL MVP with the ball inside the 10 and less than or two minutes to go on the clock and you give him the ball and you say, hey, buddy, what do you want to run that's going to score us a touchdown right now? Because you've been doing this a lot longer than any of us. How are you going to get us into the end zone from the eight-yard line? And you, you know what? You give him the ball and you let him make that decision because at the end of the day, you had Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. on the other sideline. If you're betting against him, to get the ball back to you with two minutes to go on the clock, that's that's a bet you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And you, you saw it live in action, Matt LaFleur. If you think you're getting the ball back from Tom Brady with two minutes to go in a championship game, when all he has to do is run out the clock, he doesn't have to score, he just needs two first downs, come on. A, that's a joke. Not a chance. Absolute joke. And on the offensive side of the ball for Green Bay now going into this offseason, they're going to need to look to have – Better weapons around Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Jones is going to be a free agent. They the need more is... than one receiver. <laughs> the cap is going to go down, and they're going to have to put together guys like Equinemius, Tristan Imhotep, my guy. You could not drop passes in the end zone. It doesn't matter if it's a touchdown or a two-point. Your team needs those. Alan Lazard, I think, is a great receiver. Marquez Valdez-Scantling has deep downfield potential, but these guys on, on their own as a receiving core aren't enough to put Aaron Rodgers over the top when he isn't getting the help from his running game that he needs, when he isn't getting the protection from his O-line that he didn't get yesterday because David Bakhtiari was missing, of course. Not yesterday, sorry, last week now. But they're going to need to help him continue to be elite because all before this season, Aaron Rodgers had four straight years of decline, and that's why they had drafted Jordan Love in the first round, and that's why Aaron Rodgers came out this year and had such a great season because they said, oh, you think you're moving on from me? I'm going to come out here and show you how great I am. But – if he's not able to be given the tools he needs to around him 
There's a lot of places in the NFL looking for a quarterback right now. There's a lot of pieces moving around this offseason. We just saw two first. We just saw two first trade for Matthew Stafford. Mm-hmm. How, how many firsts is Aaron Rodgers going to get? Five? Aaron Rodgers might get a whole sheesh. I don't know what the trade package would look like for Aaron Rodgers. It would be a whole different bag to trade the NFL MVP the year after he wins the NFL MVP to another team would be absolutely incredible. And and then on the defensive side of the box, at the end of the day, offensively, Aaron Rodgers did what he needed to do statistically for his team. They, you can't be having guys falling asleep with eight seconds left on the play clock. <laughs> Kevin King had a terrible game. Mike Pettin needs to be drawing out better coverages for them. They got left alone out there. Jair Alexander and Adrian Amos were their only two secondary players that showed up, yes, not yesterday, last week. And defensively, the Green Bay Packers couldn't stop a thing, it seemed like. They were just Tom Brady was getting down the field at will in the first half. You got to come out ready to play. They're young. They're going to get better. But Aaron Rodgers is going to have a tough year coming back with this Green Bay Packers team. I think this was really the year for him. One in four in NFC Championship games right now. That's He's one loss away from having the most losses by a single quarterback in NFC Championship games of all time. That's not a legacy you necessarily want to go down with. And, and even deeper than that, special teams is a part of the field that doesn't get talked about enough because I think it affects the game so much. Tampa, Bray, Tampa Brady started every field position. Their starting average field position was a 37-yard line. They had to get about three first downs to be within field goal range, five first downs, and they're in the red zone. Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers started their drives at the 23 usually. They needed at least four first downs to be within a 55-yard field goal, realistically five first downs to get any kind of points. And doing that throughout a game where you have give a guy a chance to go 30 yards to score versus having to go 50, 60 yards every drive, it wears you down. It's hard for even the greatest. So their special teams, their kick returning, their getting ability to stop kick returns. There were multiple times when the Bucks were returning kicks all the way out to the 35, to the 40. Like, that can't be happening, especially in the NFC Championship game. And then – the blame, the only blame that I really have for Aaron Rodgers, because I think a lot of it falls on the coaching staff in this game, is that the Packers, off of the interceptions that Tom Brady threw in the second half, they were unable to capitalize. One of them they scored six points on and dropped the two. The other two were both three and outs. They combined for six plays for negative five yards and punts on both drives. It's absolutely unacceptable. In the playoffs especially, you've got to be able to capitalize off turnovers. Your defense goes out there, makes a play for you to stay in the game. You've got to come on the field with some energy. You've got to come out there hot and hungry. I want to go out there and score because your defense just made a play to keep you in this. And I didn't see that out of Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers when they were coming on after the picks. they got to come with a lot more intensity next season. They, they played this game like it was a regular season game from a coaching perspective. They were there like, we can win, we can lose. We'll be here next week. That's not what championship football is. You've got to go out there. You've got to win every time. You've got to go put up six every chance you get. The Packers didn't do that, and ultimately that's why they lost this game. Hey, I mean, well said. What, what, well said. I don't know what I can give for a big takeaway, really, that you haven't already explained in such great detail. Like, I guess my big takeaway is that the Bucks have an underratedly amazing defense that have been turning mm-hmm. it up in the playoffs. Big, big ups to them. Now, as for yeah. the Packers, they, I, I feel like they have, like, three players. <laughs> I feel like they have Jair, they have, Jair, they, have um, Devon, they have Devontae, and they have Aaron Rodgers, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that there has been one game that's been such a microcosm of why a player's won an MVP more evidently than that one game. I, I, it was ridiculous. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm watching one guy just carry an entire team every single play, every single down. Big ups, Aaron Rodgers. That was, I mean, yeah, it wasn't on him. It wasn't on him. He did all he could in that game, and and it's gonna fall on the coaching staff really for me. And I can't, mm-hmm. I can't let that be excused. Mark Murphy has got to be in conversation with Aaron Rodgers about just what can we do so that next year this doesn't happen because it's it doesn't seem like something that corrects itself very easily if you just decide not to give the NFL MVP the ball. Then when else are you gonna give him the ball? I mean, I think it didn't correct itself very easily. Next year, every time you, next year that play happens, you still you yell, Aaron, are we cooking? And then Aaron yells back, no! 
Yeah, no, it's, it was going to be a crazy, crazy outcome, whatever happens in Green Bay this offseason. I think it could be tumultuous. But ultimately, given their cap and all the things that would involve trading Aaron Rodgers, I think it is going to be really unlikely. I'm just going to put that out there now. Oh, yeah. I would love to see it. I would love to see it happen. I think he deserves to go to a franchise that wants to win a little bit more than Green Bay does a little right now because they don't seem to coach to want to win in championship games. But he's... He's most likely going to be there next season. They're paying him $39 million. It would cost them like twenty five, even if he, they traded him no matter what. So it, he's going to be back. Just hopefully they can put pieces around him because it's going to be a competitive NFC next year, especially with all this quarterback movement. Mm-hmm. Well said. Well said. And then you, you wanted me to jump it over to the next game right away, or you Please. want to say something about it? Uh, I mean, I guess I could just say, yeah, I'm with you. I don't see Aaron Rodgers getting traded. I don't see those pieces flying around. Mm-hmm. I don't know what team is going to be willing to give up enough picks, but I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say there's no chance, but I'm with you. It's very outside chance. Yeah, you all have over the Bills Chiefs now. Exactly. And what I realized while I was watching this game, or what I think I already knew since last season when they won this, because I was. I remember watching last Super Bowl. I was in Europe in watching this in a bar in Portugal, like one in the morning. And just crying watching the Niners throw this game away because I was really, really drunk. <laughs> Someone give us a job. <laughs> and, and what I realized at that point and what I'd seen in that Kansas City run is that there's just something different about this Kansas City team. The offensive weapons, the, the way they put together, they look like the golden state of football. Like they can just score and create anything out of nothing so quickly and so efficiently and seamlessly that it's just like all of a sudden you thought you were chilling, you were up 20, bang, 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 you're down seven and there's no time on the clock. What just happened? That's what seems to happen every time you play Kansas City. And I think the Bills are going to end up in a cursed situation, kind of like the Rockets were in the last half decade of the 2010s in the AFC where they just got this beast of a team in Kansas City that they're going to have to beat just to get to the Super Bowl. And to beat this team is going to be really, really hard. I mean, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, big ups to all of them. They did their thing out there. They did what they could. Cole Beasley was playing on a a broken fibula, I think it was reported. It's it's just a broken leg. Like, I don't know what that means. He just was out there on a broken leg playing an ASC championship football game. Like, there's not much more you can ask for out of someone on your team. So they competed. But this Kansas City team, man, they're going to be very, very hard to beat for many, many years. And I think this is one of their more beatable years. Again, the Bills had a real opportunity here, and there's got to be a lot of questions asked about the goal to goal line coaching decisions. Sean McDermott, the head coach, and Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator, get up early, 9-0, and they watch that go from 9-0 in the first quarter to 21-9 by five minutes left in the second. And Josh Allen goes out there and puts together the best drive of the entire half for the Bills. Ball is down on the two-yard line, fourth and goal. You have an MVP caliber QB, the league's leading receiver, one of the best short yardage wide receiver twos in the NFL, and they kick the field goal. Now, why would you kick a field goal here, John? Because I want to get fired. (laughs) I I don't get how how we didn't hear a call for his job right away. I... Sean, Sean McDermott shouldn't have a job, in my opinion. If, if you I'm, kick I'm, it, listen, listen right here. If, if they go for it, fourth and two, fourth and goal on the two-yard line, if they go to it and they fail to score going into halftime, they're down 21-9. That's 12 points, two scores. Kansas City gets the ball at the beginning of the second half. That's already known. So if they, they go for it, fail to score, Kansas City gets the ball, goes down and gets a field goal, it's still a two-score game, 15 points. They score a touchdown, it's going to be a three-score game. It's, it's 20, it's 19. Those are the risks of going for it on fourth down and failing. Now let's look at the benefits of kicking the field goal. Uh, clearly, it's the better option, right? It was the better decision. Don't make me say it. If you kick the field goal like they did and you succeed, you're down nine points. You know what That's the difference still... of nine points is in a football game, John? That's still two scores. It's still a two-score game. And you know what happens if your defense comes out and keeps Kansas City to a field goal on the first drive? You're down 12 again. It's still a two-score game. And it's the same exact spot you were in going into halftime. 
And you know what happens if they score a touchdown? Is that you might only be down 16 if they kick the point after, which would be a two-score game. But knowing Andy Reid and the aggressive Chiefs offense, if they're up 15 with a chance to go for two and make it a three-score game, they're going to go for two because they have the weapons to score a two-point conversion. And this is, and you're still going to be down three scores. So what this was to me, the only way you kick the field goal is if you're Sean McDermott, you're Brian Dable, and you're like, you know what? I have Josh Allen with one play on the two-yard line. But I think he's less likely to score a touchdown than if we kick Patrick Mahomes the ball and he goes all the way down at the beginning of the second half. Because the only way that kicking the field goal benefited you was if Kansas City scored a touchdown to start the, third, to start the second half. That's the only way there was any difference in kicking the field goal or failing to score a touchdown on fourth down. And for me, that's a horrendous decision. Like, you if, can't... If, you're, if you're really playing with that mindset already, you've already lost. You have already you... lost if that is your mindset, that Josh Allen can't go get a bucket. Josh Allen can't go get you that touchdown, but you know Patrick Mahomes is going to, so you kick the field goals that way. The next time you go down, you're more likely to get – no. You've lost. I wish boy go for it. <laughs> mathematically, analytically, I, I cannot wrap my brain around a way that kicking this field goal made more sense than going for two. And then here's the thing. If they go for two and if they go for it on the two at score a touchdown, guess what? You're down 21-16 going into halftime. That's five points. That's a one-score game. That's Your team is coming off their best drive of the game going into halftime, capping it off with a fourth down touchdown, and they come out. You know what? Your defense gets a stop, holds them to a field goal. It's eight points. You know what that is? A one-score one score game. game. <laughs> a one-score game, and you give Josh Allen the ball, one drive, go get a touchdown, get a two, it's 0-0 in the third quarter against the Chiefs. But no, you kick the field goal at the end of the half and you put yourself down nine so that you can go down 12 so that, guess what? They get down to the eight-yard line. Your defense does their job coming out of halftime, holds them to a field goal. It's 12 points. It's a two-score game. But Josh Allen gets the ball. He comes all the way down the field. He gets to third and three on the eight. Third and three, they fail to get it. It's fourth and three on the eight. And you know what? I'm watching this game and I'm thinking – Okay, so you got to go for it now. It's the exact same point. You just got nine less minutes of a football game to try to catch up with the Kansas City Chiefs, which is already a terrible place to be in a football game. You never want to play catch up with the Chiefs. And so you're here on fourth, on the eight-yard line and fourth and three. What makes this the most obvious go for it fourth down ever, in my opinion, is that it's not even a goal-to-go situation. You got the whole end zone right there on the eight-yard line, but you only need to get to the five for a first down. Three more downs of Josh Allen to get, try to get a touchdown. So that means the defense has got to watch out for the end zone. They got to try to prevent the first down. And on fourth and three, guess what? Josh Allen can just truck through the middle of the O-line and get three yards. He's done it before. He ran for 88 yards in this game. Like, he could just roll out. Any rollout play, Josh Allen could have got you three yards. The defense is watching for so many things. They're trying not to give up a touchdown. They're also trying to prevent the three. Like, getting three yards and a first down is the easiest thing you need to do. This is playoff football. This is championship football. You can't go out there against the best offense in the NFL, maybe one of the best offenses of all time, depending on what kind of run they're about to go on, and decide that twice – Inside the 10-yard line, you're going to send out Tyler Bass on fourth down to kick a field goal. It doesn't happen. It can't happen because Josh Allen is right there. He's literally your franchise quarterback standing there with the best receiver in the NFL this season, a tight end who I don't really like, Dawson Knox, but he caught like eight passes in that game for 50 yards. Like he was having a good game. He was getting you short yardage plays. TJ Yeldon was getting you four or five yard runs. Devin Singleton, like for, for Sean McDermott and, and Brian Doble to send out the kicker twice on Josh Allen. It was, it's unbelievable because if you send Josh Allen out the first time, score a touchdown, you're down five. Your team only gave up three points. You send Josh Allen down there, fourth and three, and you're down eight. Guess what? I know they're going for it because you got a chance to tie the game here. And if you do, you got a whole game to play. 
And you know what happens when you give the Kansas City Chiefs a, a chance? You know what happens when you, you don't try to win the game enough? They come out and they do something on the very next play, like Tyreek Hill catching a pass for three yards and then running another 65 because he's unguardable. The Chiefs are too good to play with. You can't let them hang around. Not only you let them hang around, you let them hang around with the lead. And you're just going to let them go out there? Like Tyreek Hill getting the 71 yards, I don't blame anyone on that Bills defense for that. That's on the head coach and that's on the offensive coordinator. They should have never had the chance to go out there and make that play. Should have been a tie game. They're not trying to make that play off a tie game. I, I can't believe what both these coaches did. And I wanted to make sure that we came out here and said it because if Aaron Rodgers had gone out on that fourth down and thrown an interception or Aaron Rodgers had run on that third down that everyone says he should have run on and fumbled the ball, or if Josh Allen had gone out on either of those and turned it over, if any of them had failed to get it, everyone would have been criticizing the QBs, talking about these guys came out, they choked. They weren't as clutch as the guys they played against. They're not as good as this. But I'm not hearing the same thing for the coaches. The coaches need the same thing. The coaches choked away the game. You had two of the better quarterbacks in the NFL with their legacies on the line, chance to make a play, and you said, you know what? Let's kick it. Neither of your defenses are good. Neither of them were better defenses in the regular season. Why are you betting on them when you have your stars on offense? I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. In the NFL where we've been going for everything on fourth down now, I see teams go for fourth downs on their own 45. We're not going to go for a fourth and three on the eight. It's ridiculous, John. You got to say something. My voice is getting hoarse now. Uh, yeah, getting too big, angry. <laughs> my, my big takeaway is that I've never seen Chaz this emotional ever in my entire life. I was hoping I'd get him to spit out his water right there. Um, <laughs> yeah. You got a little um, dribble, but that's it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I have no big takeaway for the Bills because I just don't even know what to say after a game like that. That was <laughs> embarrassing. I don't know what you I, – I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to come out here and say, yeah, I could take away something. Mm-hmm. Something. Like – Big take, big takeaway, the organization doesn't believe in Josh Allen, apparently. Or the coach doesn't believe in Josh Allen. And yeah. that's good. that should be a bigger point of, of tension that no one's talking about. My big takeaway, there should be more tension in that Bill's, Bill's uh, locker room. Maybe we'll hear about it when the season starts back up. Mm-hmm. Big takeaway for the Chiefs. <sighs> Just keep doing what they're doing, man. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Again, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. There wasn't any big takeaways from this game. Nothing like crazy – the, the craziest thing that happened was the coaches. The coach decided to throw the game for the Bills. Um, yeah, but now for the Chiefs, just keep, Chiefs just keep doing what you're doing, proving doubters wrong, including myself. Until now, or am I still a doubter? We'll see later. We'll make we'll yeah, but yeah, just keep trucking along. Yeah, <laughs> Chaz, anything else from you before we move on to the next part? No, I got nothing else to say about the Senate AFC championship game, man. It was uh, perfect. Enough, take a enough said already. Yeah. Take a 30 second breather before I immediately throw it back to you. <laughs> hey, I'm all good. I'm ready to go. Don't even worry about me. You sure? You sure? Yes, you sir. Just, we could take a five minute break. You know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. We don't have any sponsors yet. So, time for a little preview of the game mm. Chiefs, Bucks, Super Bowl. I don't know how to read Roman numerals yet. <laughs> It's 55. <laughs> really? Yeah. Man, I should know how to read that. Yeah, it's a pretty easy one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, whatever. I, I don't the, L's, the L's a weird one, though. They don't usually teach the L. The L's the weird. I, I don't care. I don't care. Now you know we don't I do take care no about? L's. Now we don't take no L's. I'm just not used to L's, bro. I, I exactly. see them. I just don't get it. I don't know what that exactly. is. I've never seen that before. Make sense. Not once in my career have I ever seen an L. I do not understand this. I, I just, just don't know. Just, just looks know. like, yeah. I don't know. I'll go ask the other guys. I'll ask the other guys. They might know. Yeah. Jazz, Super Bowl LV. <laughs> yes, sir. Super Bowl LV. Super Bowl 55. T- tell me about what are some of your favorite matchups? Mm-hmm. And what do we really need to watch for this game, in your opinion? All right. So, you know me. I've got a lot to say, so I'm going to get right into it. Oh, awesome. I'll, I'll get cozy. I've talked about the Bucks. Well, I don't want you to get too cozy. I got a little game for you first before oh, we man. start. But All right, time I got, to not get cozy. I take that back. Let's go. <laughs> I talked a lot about the Bucks this postseason. They, they've won three straight road games to be able to play 
at home in Super Bowl 55 in Tampa Bay. Supposed to be about 22,000 in attendance with about 14,000 of those tickets being sold to, to the random, to the commoner like you and me, right? And I'll tell you what, I went on a certain ticket buying app and I'm not going to say it, say it because there's no free promos on this show. You better get, get in the yeah. DMs now. Yeah. Get in the DMs now. Remember all the free promo I always do before you get the post. Let's go. It's all good. All good. And, and so I, I consulted a, a ticket buying app and I took a look at the cheapest tickets I could find. And then because I, it was a funny joke, I went to go find the most expensive ticket I could find on this app. And, and I want you to just th I'll throw a number out there for, for the cheapest ticket you think in, in US or Canadian for this Super Bowl 55 in Tampa Bay 80. Let's go 2000 American. 2000 American. Okay, the cheapest ticket I could find was $4,005 USD, so, which is about 5134 Canadian dollars for all those out in Montreal listening. That's for a single ticket to the bleachers of the top of the Super Bowl, by the way. Wow. And, and now this, this top number here, uh, and I'll tell you what, it was the only number within a large chunk of itself. There was another seat in the same area that was a lot cheaper than this one. This was like a really bad price. They're trying to scam you. But either way, it was the most expensive ticket out there, John. So, so give me a number. Just throw one out there. Most expensive ticket to like a deluxe suite box at, at the top of Brady Super Bowl here. Ten. You saying $10,000 USD? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what, it's significantly higher than that. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what as well. The next closest ticket wasn't within $25,000 of this one. Okay. Yeah. That's, a, that's the level of where we're, we're dealing with right now. This I really almost cussed on this clean podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you want to take another guess or you want to just let the grand reveal go? I'll, I'll give you one, one little hint. It's kind of a meme number. Oh my God. It's $69,000. It's 69,428 us dollars. for The oh most expensive God. ticket to this super bowl, which, which for those of us who live up North translates to the equivalent of 89,000 Canadian dollars for one ticket to a box at the super bowl this year. Nine, that's and 90 G's. That's 90 G's for a super bowl ticket for a ticket. 90 racks that's for a single ticket. The next closest ticket was like $45,000 or something like that, 40000 USD. Okay. That's, that's, that's reasonable in comparison. <laughs> in comparison. And so you know what? What the world? I'll tell you what, if it wasn't a global pandemic, clearly those tickets are too rich for my blood. But if they were filling it up to the 75000 capacity, I think I could find something a little bit more in my price range. I'd really think about going down there for this one because I want to be a part of history. And I think this game is going to be historical. It's, gonna, it's the Wiley vet that gets the savvy youngster, one of the greatest of all times, and one that's already chasing the greats. I couldn't be more happy to get this game and this matchup in the Super Bowl. There's so many things I want to break down. I want to, let's start it off with a quick black to the, blast to the past, back to week 12 when these teams met for the first time and Tyree Kill decided that he was going to break some records. And I think that was even the day that he decided to do the Shannon, Shannon Sharp and call for help. But that might have been another game. Everyone remembers that first quarter, 209 yards, two touchdowns, two backflips into the end zone. I think it was – no, it's not true. It was just one. He, wa he just walked backwards in for the other one. That uh, was absolutely electrifying. I, I doubt he's going to be able to replicate that. I don't think he's going to have that many yards to start the game. Don't, he might finish around 200 because he is that good, but he, he ain't going to have 201 quarter. I'll tell you that much. Not this week because the Bucks defense has come with a little other things. There's not too much I want to take from this game. A few things were that the Bucks did manage to get two sacks, seven QB hits, and 15 pressures in that game, and they were missing the big nose tackle, Vita Vea, who's back and Jamel Dean, who's one of the big pieces in their nickel defense that you can use against the Chiefs a lot. So I think those two additions are going to be big for them coming back this week. And the Chiefs are going to be looking at a much different defense than what they saw in week 12 against the Bucks. Patrick Mahomes is going to have a lot less time. Get well soon to Eric Fisher, his starting left tackle. He tore his Achilles against the Bills. Obviously going to be out for this one. And we wish him the best of luck. And hopefully he'll be ready to get back and get going for their run that they're going to make next year inevitably. But what it is going to mean is that there's going to be a lot of shifting on the O-line. 
Most likely, Steven Wisniewski or Martinez Rankin is going to slide into a starting spot. Not too sure where, because Andy Reid has, has said pretty much that he's going to have all five guys on that line practice every position this week, so they're almost interchangeable. And it's an interesting strategy. It's going to be an enormous task for, for an O-line to come together like this when they're going to have to go against the front that the Bucks have because they are bringing pressure and they're bringing a lot of it. Like I said, Vita Vea, they got JPP, they got Indomitian Sue, Shaq Barrett. These four guys will rush at you. They will rush at you hard. They will can beat any one-on-one matchup. And they got a lot of strength and size to mix it up too. If they want to stack the line, they can bring in Will Gostin, 6'6", 285 off their bench. Defensive tackle comes inside, does a lot of work for them. Next to Vita Vea, who's 6'4", 350 in the middle, moving them around. And Dominican Sue, 6'4", 315, moving them around. And then on the outsides, JPP, 6'5", 280. Shaq Barrett, 6'2", 250. Like, this is a lot of, a lot of big guys, a lot of strength a lot of speed, and it's a whole lot of weapons for them to rearrange on that line. They like to mix it up, and the Chiefs are going to have to deal with a lot of disguised blitzes, a lot of disguised rushes, and it's going to be hard for that O-line. I think the line play is going to be the biggest factor in this game, if not the most important matchup is going to be the Chiefs O-line against that Bucks D-line because they're going to be coming with a lot of different looks, a lot of different packages, and it's going to be different for the Chiefs, more unlike anything they've ever seen before, I think, really. Similarly, Todd Bowles has got the Todd Bowles defense coordinator for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Thank you for spelling that out for us. <laughs> Just in case. Todd Bowles has got a lot of pieces to mix it up with in the secondary as well. Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy Bunting have been two of the best corners in the NFL this during this playoff run. They've stepped up a lot. Sean Murphy Bunting has a pick in every game so far against Taylor Heineke, against Drew Brees, and against Aaron Rodgers. You put Patrick Mahomes on that list, that's four out of four greats. That's right, Taylor Heineke's on that list. He deserves to be. I won't let anybody say anything else. He had a great three games for Washington. He's in, he's in Hall of Fame for the football team for however long they hold that name. But... Sean Murphy Bunting is going to have to have a big game. And they get Jamel Dean back. He's been back for a little while now. But I mean back because he wasn't there in week 12, who is a big piece for them because he does a lot of the slot lining up in that nickel or in that six-pack defensive back defense. So I think he's going to be a big piece in that double teaming of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey that's going to be happening all day long by this Tampa Bay defense. Another part of that, on the Travis Kelsey equation, they're going to be a lot of play from the elite level safeties that they've gotten from Antoine Winfield Jr., who looks well beyond his years. His dad's a veteran of the NFL, and he looks like he's got that football IQ. He knows where he needs to be. Him and Jordan Whitehead, hard-hitting. We saw him just blow up Aaron Jones multiple times in the NFC Championship game, forced two fumbles. He got one of them. So he's going to be out there making big plays. I've seen Bucks packages where they have him lined up at nose tackle and Indomitian Sue almost back at the safety. Todd Bowles loves to mix it up. They're going to see a lot of different stuff. And those two pieces, the safeties are going to be huge for guarding Travis Kelsey in his over routes and in his seams because that's where the safeties come up and they make plays over the top. You got to get your hands in there. You got to hit them hard because Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are obviously two of the greatest to ever do it. Two of the wildest men on the planet. They're two of the most unguardable athletes. At the end of the day, all said and done, it could go down as the greatest receiving tight end, maybe the greatest tight end in fo- football, and the quickest, most speed-wise, unguardable receiver the league has ever seen. He operates on a different plane than most. He's incredible. So no matter what the Bucks do defensively, it's going to be tough to stop those two. But Antoine Winfield and Jordan Whitehead are going to be instrumental in that. Where the Bucks need to be careful defensively is with their aggressiveness. I know we preached it about the NFC Championship game, but I'm talking about defensive aggressiveness here because I'm talking about the blitzes. Patrick Mahomes has like 110 QB rating. I forgot to look at the stat. I'm sorry. It's like 107 QB rating, 17 touchdowns, and zero interceptions when facing the blitz this season. It's a really obscure stat, John. I'm not sure if you're going to find it. but I'm, I'm, Patrick- I'm searching. I am... Patrick Mahomes, when facing the blitz this season, is what I'm looking for. But, yeah, the, the Bucks need to make sure they don't overcommit to the blitz or show their hands too early because as much as they want to attack that new O-line, that new formation, Patrick Mahomes is one of those guys who is able to get out of the, out of the pocket, keep plays going, keep extending plays. 
Uh, and here's the thing. If they let him scramble, what they need to do is make sure that they stay focused on those guys downfield because Patrick Mahomes, if he beats them with 100-plus rushing yards and under 300 pass yards, then if you're the Bucks defense, I'm looking at the offense because I think we did our job here. Whenever Patrick Mahomes gets out of the pocket and when plays get crazy against Kansas City is when people start losing their assignments. You got to stick with your guys. Let Mahomes run. As soon as he crosses the – as soon as he crosses that line of scrimmage, all 11 guys can go tackle him and it doesn't matter anymore. But when he is half an inch behind that line, nobody leaves their mind because Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey just need a, a quarter of a second, an eighth of a second with your head turned for them to get open and get downfield. And it's 40, 50, 60, and it's six points on the board. So they got to make sure to stay, stay sound in their blitzes Make sure the guys cover the zones that are getting left by the blitzers when Jordan Whitehead goes up, when Sean Murphy Bunting goes up. You got to make sure to help them out, cover their zones. And, and for the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes getting out of the pocket is going to be an important part of their game and something I think is really interesting with his toe injury going into this year. Not into this year, into this game. He had this turf toe people are talking about. I don't think it's really that big of a problem for him, but it could affect his ability to run the ball. He's going to be looking at his two main targets all day long, obviously, but they got a lot of guys around them that are going to need to step up and they're going to need to make plays to allow Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey to get open. The cheat, the, yeah, they have people around them. Sammy Watkins is back, limited practice this week. He is most likely going to go. He's the wide receiver, too, in Kansas City. Another deep downfield speed threat. He's bigger than Tyreek Hill, obviously. It's not hard to be. I'm sorry, Tyreek. He's like 5'7". It just is what it is. When you're that fast, you're usually little. Your legs move differently. Talk to Kyler Murray. It's the same thing. I see their hips. Their hip. Oh, it's incredible the way that these guys can move. It's fucked. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And these guys... Are, are backed with guys like Tommy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, Nicole Hardman, all guys with burners, absolute speed demons. Every single one of them runs under a 4-4. They're absolute downfield threats, and they make plays happen underneath. And I think that's, what's gonna, that's what Kansas City is going to need to look at a lot in this game, and that's what the Bucks are going to need to be careful on for their blitzes and for their coverage is the underneath passes, not necessarily to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, because I don't think they're going to have the time for that. I think they're going to have to get the ball out in two and a half or less, and that's going to mean Byron Pringle on the underneath routes. That's going to mean McCole Hardman on the wide receiver screens and the blocking downfield. So these guys are going to need to be able to make plays for the Bucks to allow Tyreek and Travis Kelsey to – get one-on-one coverage sometimes to be able to make plays to draw other coverage so that they don't just get left alone. And they're also going to need a lot of help out of their running back trio. And I say trio because I think Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, Darrell Williams, and Le'Veon Bell should all be on the field this Sunday at certain points. Not necessarily all of them out there need a lot of touches and need a lot of runs, but they all are going to need to help block and they're all going to need to be able to get out in the flats and make quick catches and get screen catches and make big plays. Because, like I said, I think they're gonna, the Bucks are going to get to the quarterback very quickly in this game. And we're going to have to see Patrick Mahomes either get rid of the football or get out of the pocket and make plays. And I think he's going to want to get rid of the football more likely than not because there's not going to be a lot of space to get out. A lot of the Bucks pass rushers are from the outside. The pocket is going to be closing. You need to get rid of the ball, and that's when you find your underneath guys, your running backs, your short receivers, like your McCole Hardmans and like your Le'Veon Bells and your Clyde Edwards-Alaire. When they played the Bucks in the Week 12, they were only able to rush for 59 yards on 16 carries. That's 3.7 carries. That's not going to be enough. 3.7 yards per carry. That's not going to be enough. Andy, Andy Reid is a football genius. He knows what he's doing on that field. He's going to find a way to make his running backs be effective in the run game, in the pass game, in the block game, because that's just what he does. But they've got a really tall task of trying to produce yards against one of the best short yardage defenses in the NFL. On the defensive side of the ball for the Kansas City Chiefs, because I think that's enough coverage of Patrick Mahomes and what him and he might do against that Bucks defense. So I'm oh, man, you got to leave some time for narratives. <laughs> Yeah, we, we'll talk Patrick Mahomes narratives. Oh, man. But I want to I break down on the defensive side of the ball for the, the Kansas City Chiefs. They're playing the best football they have all season right now. Honey Badger, Tyron Matthews, said it best this week, is that he doesn't want his team to peak too soon because they are playing fantastic, and you don't want to come out there and have your best game in the conference championship. You want it to be in the Super Bowl. They're going to have a tall task containing the Bucks running. They gave up one big run. 
and last time they played. But other than that, they kept them under 3.5 yards per carry. That's pretty good. The Bucks didn't go up, that, didn't run the ball that much. Only 12 carries between Rojo and Leonard Fournette. I think they need to tote the ball a lot more in this game, and we're going to see that. But it could be hard to stick to the run game because Kansas City does have some big guys up front that make it hard to run and can get to the quarterback real quick. Chris Jones, Frank Clark, and Derek Nandi do a really good job of clogging the line and setting the edges for the pass rush. They keep the Tom Brady in the pocket and they try to get to him. Tom Brady's obviously a very stationary quarterback. We've seen that throughout most of his career, all of his career. And he's going to sit in that pocket and he's going to want to make passes. And if they're getting pressure from the outside, it's going to become much more difficult for him. So they're going to have to do that with the help of their middle linebackers in good coverage in the middle. Anthony Hitches and Damian Wilson are going to need to have the best coverage games of their lives. Chris Godwin and Scotty Miller are going to be flying across the middle of the field and at 4.3, 4.2, 40 yards per set. Like these guys are some of the fastest human beings in the world. They're going to need to be switched on, watching Tom Brady's eyes, making sure they're following the pass and making sure because Tom is going to be set. We know he's going to be ready to go. You know who he is. And at the end of the day, the Chiefs defense relies primarily on their safeties and on their corners to make their big plays. Tyron Matthew and Daniel Sorensen, who I don't even know if you can call a safety anymore. He makes so many plays all over the field. He's just a defender. That boy plays cornerback, linebacker, safety, nickelback. He does everything. And they do all they need to stop. They're going to have to get up and get in quick blitzes. They're going to have to get to Tom Brady to help them slow down the drives. And they're going to have to get up and make quick stops in the run game. Meanwhile, Charvarius Ward, Rashad Breeland, and Rashad Fenton are going to have their hands full with the Bucks' offense because they got a lot of weapons for Tom Brady. They got Mike Evans, first receiver ever to go for 1,000-plus yards in his first seven seasons. He's a big man, wide receiver, one red zone, downfield threat, 6'5", 230. He goes up. He makes plays. He's a big dude. He's going to be who I expect to see to get the ball when they get inside the 20 and when they take big shots. Meanwhile, they got Chris Godwin, who's been Tom Brady's pretty much go-to guy over this, off, over this postseason run. He had five for a 110 against the, Buc against the Packers. He's got 14 catches for 223 yards so far in the playoffs. He's used a lot underneath. And the big X factor for them is that wide receiver three, they can throw out this guy. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. He goes by the name of Antonio Brown, baby. Business is booming, baby. He's excited to get back here. This team is full of a lot of guys who never really thought they were going to get a shot to win a Super Bowl, to compete for this. And now they're here at home in their facility with a chance to make a big, big play and slow down this Kansas City dynasty. Because don't get me wrong, it's coming. But if Tom Brady could just get one more, because we know he beat Patrick Mahomes three years ago in that championship game in the AFC. If he can get one more in the Super Bowl before he goes out, he's really trying to cement himself. And I don't want to throw any shade towards Scotty Miller. I didn't talk about him that much, but he's obviously a downfield threat. We saw the wheels on that boy last week against Kevin King. He absolutely blows by anybody. He's making catches for them all season. Another weapon, Tyler Johnson, a rookie who pretty much makes one to two plays per game. Sometimes it's the most important play of the game. If you're drawing a pass interference or a hold on third down with a minute to go in the NFC Championship game and you get that first and the game is over because of you, guess what? You made a big play. And that's what he does. And I have even brought up their tight ends. Cameron Braid, a great receiving tight end. And that big Gronk, we know who he is. I hope he retires after this year because he's not taking the NFL seriously anymore. But he's going to get one or two catches. We saw it last week. He's going to get one catch in the fourth. He's going to go for 20, 30 yards, flip the field, make a big play for them. I think really what this team is in Tampa Bay, in Tampa Brady, Tampa Bay, the way they've been put together is, is they've built – all their vets, all their ring chasers come to Tampa, the retirement capital of the world. Come help Tom Brady win a championship. <laughs> all of a sudden, they've got Tampa Brady, they've got Rob Gronkowski, and oh, look, Dominic Sue thinks he wants to resign for a year. And uh, Jason Pierre Paul also decides, hey, I might ink back up for another season. Shaq Barrett gets franchise tagged. Leonard Fournette somehow gets released, which I'm going to talk about this offseason. I don't know how Leonard Fournette got released when you only had to pay like $4.3 to have him on your team. That's crazy. And now they've got a team full of guys that got discast from the league, always played on bad teams, never had a chance to make it in the biggest game of their lives. And they're going to come out there at home in their own arena. They're going to have a big game. It's going to be a great one. I'm excited, man. I'm really just ready to watch this unfold. It's going to be crazy. All right.
Thank you for that nice little deep dive. Mm-hmm. Very, very good deep dive. I loved it. Okay, and I was so with. And I'm, keep, I'm keeping my predictions for the end now. You know, I had to Thank make you. sure I didn't didn't drop anything too hot too early. So half the fun of the Super Bowl game is all the narratives going on. I'm loving mm-hmm. it. I'm loving all the talk. And my personal favorite is all the stuff related to goats, greatest mm. of all time. Yes, sir. So let's start with the debate. Jordan mm. or Brady? Now, the correct answer is Wayne Gretzky. But let's just focus on Jordan versus Brady. Well, I, I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. There is no question in my mind, Tom Brady, win or lose. No question. Tom Brady had it before he made this game. He made this game, and he's just putting it out of reach. If it's a win, if he wins, I don't think there's any argument for Jordan being greater than Tom Brady, except for for his shoes. (laughs) It's it's harder to win in the NFL. Okay, how many NBA players have won more than five rings? I'll ignore the Celtics dynasty to give Jordan a chance. Guess, right now. More than five. Five or more. Honestly, a lot more than you than most people would probably think. I would have it somewhere at like 25-30. Wow, you okay, that's if you're counting the Celtics. If you count the okay. Celtics, I'm pretty sure it's 26. Okay. If you don't, it is 19 players. Robert Horry, Abdul Jabbar, Jordan Pippen, Mike and Scott Pollard, Slater Martin, Larry Siegfried, Don Nelson, Michael Cooper, Magic Rodman, Ron Harper, Steve Kerr, Kobe Bryant, Derek Fisher, Tim Duncan. And LeBron could easily join that list soon. He could, he could eventually get sure, out there. I'm pretty sure Danny Green is also pretty close. Danny um, Green's got three of them things. How many NFL players have won five championships? I don't think any. Maybe just Tom Brady. Two. Well, Charles Haley Tom Brady? won oh, five. Good for him. Brady <laughs> has six. No one else has more than four. Yeah. That should be the whole argument right there. I don't know why people were talking about this. Like Jordan is six for six. That's impressive. I don't care. Even if Brady loses, I'll take six for 10 over six for six every day. It's so much more impressive to lose in the finals than to not make the finals. Shout out LeBron James. Mm-hmm. I feel like people are too protected over Michael Jordan, and that's a whole different discussion that we really should have. I think there's a we, lot of fun we talk about the overprotectionness of Jordan that goes on. I, I got to add. So I, are you, are you going to come at me? Or are you going to disagree with me on this take? Well, well here's the thing. And I'm going to say this because I know a lot of diehard Jordan fans. And I, I understand the Jordan GOAT culture. And it's what I think the, the thing with Jordan that kind of makes him – that makes him the GOAT but not really the GOAT to me is that he is the greatest of all time but at just being like – at being the best player but the worst kind of player to play against type thing like not someone you want to play with or against but just the best basketball player of all time greatest i've ever seen do it one-on-one will beat anybody he's probably that guy but we talk about tom brady and he falls in more of a path like lebron james where it's like not only is he one of the greatest to ever play the sport just skill wise but it's intellectually what he brings to the game and what he brings to a team, what he brings to a franchise that really sets him apart from Jordan and sets him apart from a lot of guys. I'm, I was listening to an interview today with the Tampa, Tampa Bay's quarterback coach, Clyde Christensen, I think it is. I hope I didn't get his name wrong. But he's basically been a veteran quarterback coach in the NFL for about 20, 30 years now, worked with Peyton Manning forever, and now worked with Tom Brady for his first year in, in Tampa Bay. And what he said is when they got on the bus after the NFC Championship game, he was sitting next to Tom, and all Tom, do, Tom did was talk to him about how grateful and how humble he was and how thankful he was to have all these people that helped him get to where he is and how amazing it is that he is able to do this again and how thankful he is for all the things that happened so that they were able to make this run. And that's just not something you would see out of Jordan. So what makes it for me is that Tom Brady is, does something where he brings the culture to a team and he brings an element where it's just like, 
I'm here to win and I'm here to have a good time with these guys and we're going to do it together as a unit and we're going to win this game. And if I need to be the greatest, I'll step up in those moments. I'll take the burden. I'll talk to the press. I'll do all this stuff. But when it comes down the field, we're going to do this together as a unit. We're going to win this game because we are the better team. Whereas Jordan always came on there and was like, you know what, down the stretch, if it need be, I'll go one on five. I'll do it all. I can do it all. Like, he was the Chicago Bulls, yes, but that's just because they drafted him. You know what I'm saying? Like, he would have been that for any franchise that he was at. So, for me, that's what sets it apart is that I think, obviously, Tom Brady is the GOAT right now in this conversation compared to the two. All right. But now, now for another, another interesting way to take these, this GOAT conversation. Mm-hmm. With two straight Super Bowl appearances, a team full of weapons, mm-hmm. complete team, most guys under contract for next year, a competent, more than competent, an excellent front office that seems to keep finding good players in the draft and free agency, wherever, to keep the team afloat. And Pat Mahomes not having a crazy cap hit until two years from now, those $30 million next offseason, mm-hmm. is not a joke, but it's not crazy yeah. yet. Are the Chiefs going to become the next great football dynasty? I mean... I've kind of been alluding to it in this episode. I really do think so, man. This team, it's just because of the way they are able to switch it on. It seems so effortless for them with just those three guys. It's like, I don't know. I've never seen it before. And I think a lot of people that are watching football and have watched football for a lot longer than I have can say they've never seen it before. It's just the way that just those three guys alone are able to affect all 22 that are on the field at once and just be the best three unguardable. It almost looks like they're out there on their own. Like they're breaking tackles, but it's as if they're breaking tackles from practice squad guys. Like they're not getting, it doesn't look like they're challenged. So I think the chiefs are well positioned to be able to put together something crazy because that's almost at the point. It's almost at the point where if they Mm -hmm. don't become the next great dynasty, it would be considered a failure. Oh yeah. I'm just going to say that's a completely unfair expectation, but yeah, that's the expectation. Like and this team's going to have championship expectations. Tyreek Hill's on contract until the end of 2022. Travis mm-hmm. Kelsey until 2025. I guarantee you, at the very least, until Tyreek Hill leaves, for good reason, this team will have championship expectations every single season. Mm-hmm. And if they don't make it, if they don't win, that season will be a failure. Every single season until Hill leaves. Absolutely. And that's not something that's ever really been seen in the NFL. I mean, San Francisco's I mean, had some Brady. great teams in the day. Tom Brady's had some great – but even it, – it's hard for me to remember. I guess I wasn't paying attention to it as much when I was younger. But it's hard for me to think, going back to it, that before the season started, it's like, yes, we know New England and Tom Brady are that team. But it's like, are they clear-cut just like they could turn it on and be the best team whenever? No, it's like they could lose to Eli Manning. Like, they can lose. They were they felt more beatable. This team feels like you could, as long as you give them the ball, as long as they can touch the rock, they will score. And it's just like, it, it's unguardable. If they get there, if Patrick Mahomes gets his hands on the pigskin and it leaves his hands and winds up in the hands of Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill, it somehow ends up a touchdown every single time. And it's just like, yo, these guys are, there's something else. It's something I've never seen before in the NFL. And I, I just, I don't even know why Tyreek Hill would leave. I'm obviously going to have to look at the cap and see if they can't pay him anything, then I get it. But even at a discounted contract or the way this team can work, I think they're going to be able to figure it out and keep them together until they're going to retire together, jerseys retire together. This could be the start of something I've never, never before seen in the NFL. I definitely think you're jumping the gun a little bit. I want to see them actually win one more time before I start talking. Jersey retirement, best thing in the NFL. Like, every team looks unbeatable until they get beat, you know? Mm-hmm. Like Tyson, mm-hmm. everyone looks good until they get punched. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. But, look, Tony Romo said this really well. Yeah. As I mentioned, GOAT. I'm now I'm going to take it to GOAT. I don't want readers, the listeners to think I got lost. Tony Romo said it really well. If Pat Mahomes wins this title, then Brady's GOAT title, that GOAT title door, is still open. Winning four more Super Bowls is possible at the age that Mahomes is at right now if he shows up with two. Easily. Even if he made less Super Bowls than Brady at the end of his career, even if he doesn't get to ten Super Bowls, even 
even if he only gets to six and he wins all six. Mm-hmm. Because he beat Brady this year, you know, if, if he wins, this is all if he wins. If yeah. he beats Brady this year, that and being possibly the most talented QB of all time, which Pat Mahomes has been making a, cra- a case for, and he will continue to make a case throughout his career. And could, that, that could be enough. Things. That could be enough to make this a serious discussion. I, I agree. I think it's going to be – it is relying on this game. That's why I think this game is, a, is most important for Patrick Mahomes out of anybody on the field today for, for legacy-wise. Is nobody needs the win for their legacy more than Patrick Mahomes. If Tom Brady wins this game, I don't see a way Patrick Mahomes will ever surpass him unless he were to win like 10 Super Bowls. So it would have to be something you, ridiculous. You say that, but there's one other player on the Chiefs who mm-hmm. I believe his legacy actually is very much riding on this game. I want to talk about Travis Kelsey. He has an argument to be the most winning tight end of all time. If you look around, the great tight ends of all time, only Gronk has more than a ring. I think Gronk is the only one with a ring at all. Look, his raw, Kelsey's raw stats will never catch up with Gonzalez. I don't think his peak rivals Gronk's. But if Kelsey can contribute heavily to a second Super Bowl, wi- Super Bowl win – and again, contribute to a third, I think that he has an argument for the greatest tight end of all time for winning football games. That is an argument that he's going to be able to put himself into if he wins these. If he loses, he's never going to be in that argument. He'll always just be remembered as an amazing, amazing tight end, but he'll never be in that upper echelon of tight ends that are never forgotten. Him winning this this one might just be enough. Him winning this one and staying part of this dynasty Definitely enough. And here's the thing. I think Travis Kelsey is probably the most important piece for them in this play, in this Super Bowl, too, is because Tyreek Hill is going to draw the attention of the entire secondary because that's what he does. And that allows Travis Kelsey to operate. And I think he's going to need to be their best player on the field that they want to win this football game. And it's definitely going to put him in this chance. You heard me say it before. I think he has a chance to be one of the greatest tight ends of all time. Honestly, regardless if they win this or not, I think as long as he has a good game, great game, which I expect him to have, they don't come out on top and, and it's not his fault specifically. You can't chalk that up to him. They, they lost the game. He's one player. But the, the season that he had this year, off the year that he had last year, and the way this team looks poised to stay together, I think he's going to be putting up 14, 15,000 yard seasons just back to back to back. 10, 15, 20 he is touchdowns. Older just than back you to realize. Back I'm just going to gonna say that. He is older than you realize. And look, I understand that eventually it's going to slow down for Travis Kelsey, but for the time being, he doesn't look anywhere near like he wants to stop and anywhere like he's any sign of slowing down. So I think that for him, if he wins this game for them, he's already on the fast track for one of the greatest tight ends of all time for me. And that's no disrespect to a lot of the other guys. It's just because of how he's been able to affect a dynasty type team. All right. Let's talk about the bucks now. That was Mm -hmm. very, very chiefs centric dialogue. What does it mean for them if they win? There's a lot of different angles. There's of course the Brady angle. There's more than just Brady angles, but I'm going to start with the Brady angle. Like I said earlier, winning this solidifies his goat argument for the foreseeable future. There will eventually be somebody better than him. That's the way sports works. Mm -hmm. But there's a real chance that if he wins a seventh championship, that will never be seen. There's a chance that we will never see a player win seven championships. We, like you and me, might might not see it. The Mm -hmm. NFL will probably see it again at some point, assuming the NFL continues to go on for the rest of eternity. But I don't know that we'll ever see someone win seven championships again in the NFL. Mm -hmm. That would shut the door. I don't think that Patrick Mahomes could make up six Super Bowls over the next 10 years or whatever. I don't think that that's exactly a, an easy possibility versus if he wins this one, he only needs to do four more, which is much easier to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, This pretty much I'm... would shut the door on anyone currently in the league or in the foreseeable future of the league coming in and taking that crown. Yeah, I agree, man. Tom Brady, if he puts us away, that's what, seven for 10. He does it on the new team in Tampa Bay during the COVID year. Like, 
I get it's a weird year, and so there's things that contributed them to have a better season than others. But look, if he goes seven for ten in the Super Bowls, just ten Super Bowls is crazy. To think about it in the NFL, you talk to a guy who made two, three Super Bowls, and they'll tell you how excited and how happy and grateful they were to be able to just make it there. And Tom Brady, in the interview today with his quarterback coach, he was telling, he was saying that Tom Brady has like Super Bowl pranks that he does. He has things that he does just like every Super Bowl now because he's been to so many of them. There's just things. And, and imagine that, like, the biggest game of your career, you got game seven of the NBA finals, and you're just out here like, yeah, 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 I'm going to go slip a play under coach's door the night before because I want to run it in game seven because I think it's going to be good. Like, that's what Tom Brady does. He likes to slip plays under the OC's door on Saturday night before the Super Bowl because he thinks it's funny. Like, and – and that's just a crazy thought to be so good that you decide that you want to mess around with the Super Bowl. He's elite, one of the greatest, will be the greatest of all time for a long time with this one. Lock it, lock it, put the key away, give it to Roger Goodell. It's not going anywhere. Now, I got to say, I don't think that winning this championship will tarnish Bill Belichick's legacy. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong at all here. But I do think that just by making this game, it proves that Tom's success wasn't all just because of Bill, like some people like to say. Yeah. And it strengthens his goat argument immensely. And it's gonna really shut some doubters up. And I, I, I like that a lot because yeah. I mean I watched I watched enough of the Patriots to be like, look, they're both geniuses. You put two geniuses in a room, they do genius things, they win six yeah. they win six Super Bowls. That happens. You put the two the arguably best coach of all time with the arguably the great with the greatest player of all time, you're gonna win yeah. a bunch of Super Bowls. It's like no question. If- no imagine, if Phil, imagine if Phil Jackson was coaching like Jerry West, you know, like, it's just like, oh, what do you want to do? Like, let's get it going. Cause we're getting dubs. Like you're getting dubs. Like there's no, there's no, there's no discussion. Yeah. So I'm with, I'm with it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm with it, but this does end a lot of those discussions that were happening about if Tom was just a, a product of Bill Belichick. Yeah. And also the fact that Cam Newton struggled so much in the system and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, New England just appreciate Tom Brady. Come on, man! Don't yeah. it, it, they don't have to be tied together? They're both greats. Just let them be. Yeah. Back to the Bucks, though. Yes, Last sir. thing I want to talk about with the Bucks, because this isn't <laughs> just about Tom Brady. There's a whole team, yes, a sir. whole team that's looking for redemption. Fifty-two other guys on that roster and a practice squad. Brady took a bin of guys who had been discarded by other teams: Gronk, AB, Leonard Fournette, so mm-hmm. many people. They got together, and they they went to the championship game. They're gonna win a. They might win a championship if they if they win a championship. That's the ultimate vindication. Mm-hmm. And to a lot of people, vindication means a lot. To to, to Antonio Brown, to, to Gronkowski, to Fournette, to all these guys, winning that championship is gonna mean so much to them. Mm-hmm. And I imagine, I imagine, I don't need to imagine. I know, I know this has been serious fuel for them. I know that when I told you they're going on it, they're turning it around. They were using that as motivation. Everyone's yes, sleeping on there. They've been pumping the gas, pumping the gas with this, and they are coming out. Mm-hmm. They want their vindication. They want their vengeance. They want their redemption. They, and, and someone I, I want to make that. sure we don't that. we don't leave out of this redemption vindication story is a lot of the coaches staff on this team too is just a lot of pieces mixed together. Bruce Arians, a lot of people in the NFL had a lot of mixed feelings about him and what he could do with the football team. And and look, Bruce Arians has looked like a football genius this year, the way he's been able to put this roster together and just like, you know what, all these guys, we're going to put as many great players in the room together and just let it happen, figure it out. And you know what, at the end of the day, you got to the last game of the season and now you got all the best players you could possibly ask for here to make a play. So this is going to be a great chance for them at home. I'm really excited. I think they're going to be out here chasing that vindication storyline like crazy. All right. We've definitely pushed over the hour by now. So the last question I'm going to ask you today, Chaz. Yes, sir. Who wins Sunday night and by how much? Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to come home and win this game 31 to 27. Patrick Mahomes is not going to have a chance late in the quarter. Tom Brady's going to run out the clock and take a knee to win the game at the end. And the weekend is going to fall off the stage during the performance. Oh my God. I'm so excited for the weekend <laughs> performance. I'm more, I'm almost more excited for the weekend performance than I am the game. Um, I miss concerts so much. 
Oh, it's going to look crazy. I, I, I miss concerts more than I miss <laughs> going to sporting events because I never get to go to sporting events. Um, yeah, except for my brother's basketball games. I miss those more. Uh, uh, my, my opinion. Super football. Bowl Sunday. Sunday Super night. Sunday. Who you got? Football. There's going to be football on that day. It's not a weekend concert. Um, Who you got? I learned from last round that I am betting with my head. Mm-hmm. I've got the Chiefs. Their offense mm-hmm. might be the most unstoppable in modern football history. I got Chiefs by about one by one touchdown or less. I'm not counting out Tom Brady to keep this game close. That seems like a horrible idea. But yeah. at the end of the day, the Chiefs just have so many weapons on offense. And their defense knows how to get the job done. And, like, I mean, I, I don't want to say it. The toughest defense that these that the uh, Bucks have faced was we, was the first week of the playoffs. The Washington Football Team. That Saints defense wasn't an issue to them. That Packers defense looked moshed. The Let's Saints see what defense. they do with a real Super Bowl team defense. I'm Saints excited. De- Saints defense wasn't a problem because they played so well. But I'll agree with you. I think this is going to be an exciting. This is one of the best defensive teams they're going to see in a long time. It's going to make for a great game, no matter what. I'm going to be hyped. I'm going to be going nuts. Hopefully, Chaz, I'll, I'll be sober been, enough Chaz to stay through the whole day. Chaz has been begging game. me to do a second podcast Sunday morning. Chaz we might do one do Sunday a- morning, just getting hyped for the game. If you want a game day podcast, let us know in the comments on the Instagram post tomorrow. No one's probably listening to this because it's way too far into the episode. But, yo, but off hey, official ball talk IG. <laughs> official ball talk IG. You know what I'm saying? Check it out. Check out the YouTube channel. I saw we had seven subscribers today. Shout out to all of you seven. I don't know who you are, but I know one of them's me, one of them's John, and I assume one of them's Ethan. So shout out to the other <laughs> four of you. And, uh, <laughs> and we'll get you and, some uh, porn goodie bags. Slide in our DMs, I'll get you a porn goodie bag. Yeah, shout out to Golden State Warriors, bro. Dropped 147 tonight on the Mavericks in regulation. Draymond Green had 15 assists. That might Kelly Oubre had high, 40. Kelly Oubre yeah. had 40 and increased his three-point percentage by 4% during the game. Yeah, he shot for seven season. for ten from three. Like <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous. Fantastic. All right, we love to see it. We love to see it. This has been the Ball Talk Podcast. Make sure to make sure to follow us, like us, subscribe us, follow the Instagram, everything. Mm-hmm. Have a good Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. It's Ball Talk. It's Ball Talk, baby. It's Ball Talk. It's Ball Talk, baby. It's Ball Talk. It's Ball Talk, baby. It's Ball Talk. It's raw talk, baby, 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 baby.